Tony Vincent starred on Broadway as Mark Roger in Rent, Judas in Jesus Christ Superstar, and Green Day's American Idiot as St. Timothy. He played Simon Zealots in Andrew Lloyd Webber's film remake of Jesus Christ Superstar, and if that wasn't enough, he originated the role of Galileo Figaro in Queen's We Will Rock You on London's West End. And he gave an exciting and memorable performance of Bohemian Rhapsody for Queen Elizabeth II's Golden Jubilee. There were over one million people surrounding Buckingham Palace and 200 million viewers globally. We remember him internationally as a finalist in NBC's The Voice. There's no moss growing under this star's feet, however. After 21 years in New York City, he moved to Nashville, and his career is as dynamic as ever. Stay tuned. You're going to want to know more. It's time for OWC Radio. Tech Talk with Creatives. Conversations with host Serena Catania. This is Serena Catania with OWC Radio. I am speaking with Tony Vincent today. I really want to know what's going on with you, Tony. How are you? You know, in light of the circumstances out there, I'm great. <laughs> I'm great. Yeah, are you, you're quarantined? Yeah. As a matter of fact, we probably, we, my family, started quarantining maybe two weeks before everybody sort of got wind that this was something that people should be doing. I was, this really? was in really early March. Yeah. Cause I was traveling a lot and we just felt that there was too many things. I mean, we were looking at Italy. Um, I was traveling to Europe oh, wow. off and on over the last two months. And we were just like, you know what, we just need to kind of isolate for a moment. And, you know, and then bookings that I had had that were going to be taking me out of, out of the city here, um, somewhere out of the country, somewhere up in Canada, just canceled. And so there was no need to really look outside of, of quarantining and just, you know, making, making the health of our family physical and, and hopefully mental health of our family priority. So you have your wife Aspen with you and you have two kids too, I right? Do. I do. Sadie is eight and my son Jet is two. Oh, so how's that going at home? I try, <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say, I try quarantining with that. And I'll tell you, it's been great because of moving to Nashville, mm -hmm. because if we were, you know, quarantining in a small New York apartment, like we could have been just a year ago, we would mentally be in a very, very different space. So why did you make the decision to move to Nashville? You'd been in New York for what, 20, 20 yeah. years, something yeah, like that? Yeah, 21 years. Yeah. Well, I spent a lot of time on Broadway. And before I moved to New York, I actually lived in Nashville. I got a record deal here. I went to university here and then used the studio, the recording studio on campus to basically record an independent record. And that attracted enough attention from several record companies here that were based out of Nashville. And I got signed and lived here for seven years. And then I just, I wanted to pursue a more, I guess, rock focused record. Um, the climate here, this was back in 95, 97, was very safe musically. And I didn't feel that I fit in very well with the climate here, at least with the artistic community. Everything was very, I mean, it was still very heavily involved in the country music scene. And although there were a couple of fringe things going on, it just didn't feel like the environment that I could feel creative in. And so that's, mm -hmm. you know, it was either New York, LA or London. And I, as bad as I wanted to go to London, I couldn't figure out a way to get there. And, mm -hmm. and LA seemed so populated within the, the 
recording industry, I just felt that my love for that sort of New York vibe and feel, it just, that won out in the end. And I was single and it just made sense to do. And I never looked back. I find that people who are incredibly creative, and you're, you're an actor, you're a producer, you're a songwriter, you're a singer, you, you have abilities in so many different areas. So what had you just finished in New York before you moved to Nashville? I had been touring on a symphonic concert of David Bowie's music. And I'm, I'm heavily influenced by Brit pop and Brit, Brit rock and roll. I have been ever since I was four years old. I heard a Beatles record and it just, it, that's why I'm here talking with you today. You can thank Lennon and McCartney. You know, that's funny because I keep, I, I spoke yesterday with Felix Cavalieri of the Rascals. Do you remember mm-hmm. them? Yeah, sure. And he actually, the Beatles opened for him back in the day. That is amazing. I know. That is so brilliant. I know. And I'm talking to so many musicians and it seems like we, we all, I'm, not me as a musician, but me as somebody walking down the street in Germany in the 60s hearing the Beatles sing the German rendition of uh, I Want to Hold Your Hand. Amazing. So many people are influenced by the Beatles, and it's coming back around again. I mean, I don't know of a musician out there who, in a way, hasn't at least acknowledged that without that band, we don't know if music would be in the same place that it's in today. I mean, they really were a catalyst for creativity. They were, their, their songwriting was epic and beautiful, and it broke the mold. And even the way with with you know Sir George Martin, they would they would record things in a way that nobody had ever done before, and mm-hmm. so it created this sonic landscape. Besides being brilliant songwriters, that it was just like the scales fell from our eyes and ears and everything else. It was like we were seeing 3D for the first time. And, um, you know, to, to sort of touch on and, and piggyback a Beatles connection thing, um, I had an opportunity to work with the rock band Queen and open their musical in London in, uh, in 2002, I think, 2001, 2002. And we did this huge event at the 50th anniversary of Queen Elizabeth's time on the throne. And we had this huge concert in the garden at Buckingham Palace. And so... So while I was fronting Queen at that time, we were joined on stage, we. I was joining artists such as like Annie Lennox and Eric Clapton and The Coors and Natalie Imbruglia and, and some iconic figures. Phil Collins was playing drums for us also alongside <laughs> Roger Taylor. And then at the end of the night, I'm singing Hey Jude with Paul McCartney. Un- stinking believable <laughs> like it's one of those pinch me no don't pinch me because if this isn't happening I, I truly don't want to wait from this moment <laughs> and on top of it you were madly in love you had just met aspen right well she didn't come around until the the uh american oh, okay. version of that show so oh, i was okay. i was, I was right. happily single and and rock and roll <laughs> and fronting queen you know couldn't unbelievable a, yeah pretty pretty fun stuff yeah but you worked hard to get there i mean you started when you were seven years old and yeah and luckily your your family also encouraged you which is is really pretty wonderful it was wonderful sure there's so much i want to talk to you about because i want to talk about sound shop and i want to talk about pcg theatrical but i, I just have one kind of a crazy question i was curious about why you picked your grandfather's name mm. to keep as my last name yeah. Yeah, sure. Because I had grown up with a nine-letter last name 
that although phonetically it was pronounced exactly it was as it was spelled, that many letters on, on someone's last name is daunting. It's a little scary. I got, you know, very mispronounced names throughout my entire schooling. And so when I was in college and I knew that I was getting ready to put out this, this EP, this record, I knew I had to have a name that wasn't difficult, that could be easily said, that looked good in print. I mean, I was, I grew up with a father who owned an advertising agency. So whenever, I mean, the concept of branding was sort of ingrained in my fiber mm-hmm. ever since I was a young boy. So I knew it had to it'd be easy to say. I knew it had to look good in print with, with whatever font was being used. And so Vincent um, retained an Italian component to it in my mind at that time. And I didn't want to have, you know, kind of lose my Italian heritage on my father's side. And so Tony Vincent just sound, it sounded good. It, it felt good in the mouth. And that's, that's kind of, it just, perhaps it was coincidence that my, my father or my grandfather was named Vincent. I don't know if I would have naturally chosen that, but it just, it kind of kept it in the family while still being able to do my own thing. Well, you know, in an Italian family, that means a lot. I'm named after my Sicilian grandmother. Okay. So I'm uh, Sicilian as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you you almost, my mother, I remember my mother being upset because she was Belgian and she wanted to name me Elizabeth uh, after my Belgian grandmother, but the Sicilian family wouldn't let her. So I imagine, yeah, they're rough. was your grandfather still alive when that happened, when you, when you started using his name? He was not. He died oh. when I was in high school, actually. Yeah. Oh, well, he's upstairs looking down, feeling very grateful that you've done so well with your life. You've had an amazing run of it. It's been a joy. It really has been fun. And, I, and you know, and, you know, I'm only mid forties. And so I, I hope that this is just, you know, just a, a, mid, just a, mid, a midpoint at best, you know, it's the, it's the foundation. It's yeah. the foundation. So, I mean, there, there's just some incredible milestones in your life as I was talking to our audience before you came on. Uh, but, but let's go back to the transition from New York to Nashville, what's the first thing you did when you arrived in Nashville? <laughs> Exhaled because, you know, you, <laughs> well, because it's just so much. We live on in a, in a little sort of um, farmland-esque community right outside of Nashville proper. Um, mm-hmm. And the city is called, or the township is called Nolansville. And just to, to have farm areas and to be able to exhale, because we've been living in this, A, a pretty fast-paced lifestyle, just because of the career choice that I chose, whether it was Broadway or rock and roll. Um, but just to have space to where we're not living on top of each other, that was the most welcome. And that, you know, could have of course come from any other, you know, sort of suburban kind of lifestyle, but because I already had a history with Nashville that I felt very connected to, and I had maintained relationships, it just felt like, this was a warm place to return to. And so it felt mm-hmm. emotionally like a, a proper connection. And then just to be able to have a home where my family can not live on top of each other was just, that was the, that was the biggest sort of welcome to arriving here, I think. Mm. Some space to think and breathe and yeah. get back to who you are inside as a person. When you're living the kind of life you were living, it's wonderful and it's exhilarating, but it's also exhausting, isn't it? I mean, and you don't, yeah, and you don't realize, especially and and only New Yorkers who I I'll just I'm going to make a, a, a maybe 
arrogant claim. I don't believe, unless you've spent 10 years living in Manhattan proper, that you've ripped, maybe Brooklyn, maybe, that you've really experienced what it's like to really live there. Because people that go there for a year or two, you get a taste of what it feels like. But when you start having kids and you have to deal with subways and mass transportation with a stroller, then life <laughs> life really hits you hard. And, and yeah. don't you quickly realize that this is no joke and how difficult it is to live in Manhattan with kids. So did it change who you were in terms of your creativity when you fell in love and you had your first child and then moved to Nashville? Uh, what changed in terms of your approach to your music and your life other than what we're talking about now? Because your music did change too. It seems like it became much more intimate. I'm sure that I'm saying something that other parents will feel who are artists and it impacts you in a way because you're at least depending on how old you are, I guess when it happens, um, I, I had kids pretty late in my life. So I was kind of done living like I wasn't a parent. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you're, when you're sort of passion towards music and creativity is not sidelined, but it just, you realize how much you love someone else more than you yeah, and what you do it naturally is going to affect what you do, not necessarily for good or bad. It just does what it does. Um, some artists, I, I, you can almost pinpoint in their career where they've had a real experience of, of, a, of a shift. And I don't know what that is. Either they got you know, sober and clean or they had kids or something happened. And some people can transition artistically in a really, really great way. And some kind of lose the grit and the fire in their belly kind of thing. And, and I've mm -hmm. seen it happen on both ends. You know, the ironic thing of, of moving back to Nashville, I was here only for 13 months before coronavirus happened. So, and when I first moved here, I was still in the process of touring pretty extensively and doing symphonic concerts all around the world. And so, yeah, it was, it's, it's a very interesting time we're living in and to and to talk about creativity in the moment it's it's really strange i don't i don't know how to answer that question because it's so quiet that i miss the energy has been zapped from a portion of me you know it's tough it's it's kind of tough i mean you're a social person obviously and you need the creativity and you need the time alone to create but it seems like you know we all need other people around us. So this is mm -hmm. this is a tough time for all of us, but I have a feeling that some of your greatest work might come when you least expect it now that you really do have time to just let that percolate. Yeah, I hope you're right. I mean, I, I feel really excited about the next step. Once we get past this, the drama of all of what's mm -hmm. happening right now, and I, I'm not sure that we'll ever have a return to what we used to know. I don't necessarily know if that's a bad thing. Yeah, I was going to ask you, do you think that's a good or a bad thing? I don't, I don't, <laughs> it all depends on what happens, I guess. Yeah. And, and I'm talking on non-COVID issues too, from, from racial tension and discrimination and all of the things that are going on right now. It'll be very interesting to see if we choose to become empathetic as a country, mm -hmm. because as a New Yorker, we have to operate as a community because we're on top of each other, eight, 10, 22 stories high. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so we're, we're yeah. literally living on top of one another. We have to operate as a community, knowing that for the greater good, we have to make personal sacrifices. 
But America, I mean, I'm going to be kind of bold here. America as a whole doesn't really have to do that and never has had to do that of making personal sacrifices for really the community, the culture, our, our kids and the schooling, because you don't put a mask on that puts my daughter's schooling in the fall in jeopardy because it, it, the numbers continue to increase or at least stay at a certain level that remains unsafe. And so I think that's been one of the the biggest mental struggles for me. And I think that's impacted me creatively is the lack of empathy, the lack, the lack of other focused vision and, and the selfishness of this country has really been incredibly sad to see. Well, America is an adolescent compared to many of the other. I have a, I have a crystal that from my mother's hometown in Belgium that celebrates the 2000 year anniversary. Amazing. You know, Amazing. and we're talking 244. So it's like we're spoiled teenagers yeah. compared to some of the people. So we're learning. I mean, we are an amazing nation with so mm-hmm. many blessings. Yeah. And I just think that we've missed that mark of understanding of how blessed we are, you know, and it's become an, it's, it's slipped into place of entitlement as opposed to graciousness. When you were traveling and you've done so much traveling all over the world, what stands out for you now as a father that you're going to want to tell your children about, that you're going to want future generations to remember about you? Do you have some moments that are, I mean, because there's so much here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you What do you think about when you think about you know, teaching your child something that you've learned or sharing a wonderful memory? Like your eight-year-old daughter, I'm sure the two of you have talked and she's asked you questions. Daddy, what happened when you met the queen or, you know, whatever it was? You know what's kind of cool about Sadie is, Sadie's my eight-year-old, is that she is such a very independent, strong little person. She knows, <laughs> what, her, she knows what her father does for a career, but she's not enamored by it. She's not like, ooh, mm-hmm. what? she's not a fan, which hurts somewhat, (laughs) but it also is pretty great because she doesn't find any of her self-worth in what her father does. And she's a lot like me, which makes our relationship somewhat rough and rocky a lot of the time because I know who I'm talking to. It's, and (laughs) and it's a little me and it pushes my buttons on a, a lot of, you know, different issues that, that I have. Um, that being well, you're said, both alphas. <laughs> what we have, exactly. I mean, she's tough. She is, and she's really smart. Um, and I, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that she doesn't have that kind of fixated fan kind of thing towards her father. It's funny. My kids grew up on movie sets and neither one of them went into my business and they could care less about it. One of them's a lawyer and the other one's a doctor. <laughs> That's great. That's so great. I mean, I get a lot of questions of like, what do you know? Are you, what do you think, your daughter musical? Well, she's actually not at all. I mean, I don't, uh-huh. think, I don't think she's going to listen to the broadcast today. Um, she'd probably wince or or get very upset that I would even say this. I would never choose to push my kids into this industry just because there's just such a lack of assurance and stability. People mm-hmm. can say that that occupies every career, but you know, when you do entertainment, it's you're you're only as good as what you're doing currently, mm-hmm. um, and it's very difficult to wave your flag of what you did five, 10 years ago and, and have it have a lot of weight. That being said, my son is very rhythmically driven. You can tell, and I, and I started as a drummer um, when I was really, really young. 
And so I can, you can tell there's, there's no doubt about it. And my wife is a singer and she's a performer and you can tell that the, the genes are passed to this little guy. And so it'll be very interesting to see what he chooses to do. That being said, you know, like I, I mentioned, I wouldn't push my kids into this realm. I, I would actually try to steer them sort of away. However, if they have that desire of like, this is what I'm called to do, you're damn straight. I'm going to get behind it. Well, you're mentoring other people now with your PCG Theatrical, your artist development company. Tell us a little bit about that. So when I was doing American Idiot on Broadway, which is which was Green Day's musical, I was approached mm-hmm. by a nonprofit organization that um, goes into to cities and basically teaches young people who want to pursue musical theater. And, mm. and I, for the long, longest time, I probably for two years, I was asked repeatedly, you know, you want to come and meet us in Philly. We're going to be in Philly or we're going to Denver. Why don't you come join us? And you can at least check out what we do. And I was like, you know, I always had this stigma probably from my father that those who can't teach. And I was mm. like, I'm sorry, I'm doing it right now. I'm, you know, I'm leading this Broadway company and I'm not going to, I think it, it felt like I was going to undermine what I did by teaching. And then I just had a break in my schedule and took a train to Philly and sat in on a couple sessions and wound up then teaching a performance class during that weekend. And I was like, <laughs> when you see the penny drop in a young person, and yes. and and I come from a I come from a musician's perspective, so I don't come from that Broadway actor dancer kind of thing. I come from a very rock and roll driven career, and that's where my history is. And so I think that's why I had so much success on Broadway is because. I don't interpret music the same way and and which has really been a real blessing to me. And so I think when I teach, I also teach from a person who comes from making great records or or delivering a believable story outside the confines of just a great vocal, you know? And so um, I decided to come to Nashville and I met a gentleman who does basically runs a commercial music focused artist development company called PCG Universal. And I met with him because he wanted me to come on board to teach a lot of his students performance coaching. And I I told him that I was very interested in doing that. I said, however, when run with me on this train of thought, if Hamilton can sell tickets for $2,000 a pop, if celebrities are dying to try to get on a Broadway stage and no longer is theater in the middle school and high school um, education, is it some dark art that people are ashamed of? It is like people want to do this more than ever. Something has happened and I want to take an artist development approach to musical theater students. And so we started PCG Theatrical a little uh, less than a year ago and um, you know, COVID is a very interesting thing because much of the time, 90% of our kids came to Nashville from all over the country. And I have a group of what I call providers. Um, so whether you need vocal instruction or acting or dance or whatever that is that goes on behind the artist who's an actor on Broadway stage, um, I can facilitate to give you the kind of real content that you don't just get at conservatory because what makes PCG theatrical unique is it's very individually focused and how that young person, when they walk through that door, wherever that, that sort of weak link is in their 
creative component to their desire to do musical theater as their career. We will focus on that. We will support the things that they're really, really good at. And you can't do that from a conservatory. I don't care if you're at Berkeley or you're at Cincinnati mm -hmm. Conservatory or you're at Pepperdine, because there's a curriculum that you have to you know, basically mm -hmm. strapped to, which isn't necessarily a bad thing for everybody, but that isn't always cut out for, you know, the masses. There's those individual people who want a very specific type of education that you can only get from people who have been on Broadway. And fortunately in Nashville here, I have a handful of people who have been either under production contracts, which is the highest level of union contracts mm -hmm. on, a, on a Broadway or a national tour that we can deliver content that is so, so strong. How old are these um, young people that you're, you're teaching? Sure. It all depends on how they are when they walk through the door mentally, mm -hmm. because obviously you, you can only do so much with, <laughs> with a 10 year old child because they haven't had the life experience that they would need to develop a character or go right. on this sort of emotional journey and you don't want to mess up what they're experiencing as a young person now some people are 12 years old and they are like they're living like they're 18 and you can properly address it you know after talking with their parents that sort of thing so that you're walking a line that's really safe for everybody but also really pushes them creatively so most of our people that we work with are between that young teen 12 maybe um, all through high school. Mm -hmm. Now, if somebody wants to come in that's past high school and at a collegiate level, of course, we'll, we'll work with you. I mean, we, we've done very similar one-off things with people who are taking a semester off and they just want to keep at it. Um, we have a program called The Stage Door, which is kind of a, a one weekend onslaught of training, Ooh, uh, nice. which is really, really cool. Yeah. So is there an audition process to get into the training? There is, yeah. Um, me and the, the gentleman who, who owns PCG Universal, we, we see everybody who wants to be a part of PCG Theatrical, just because we think it's important that we're dealing with people that are just really passionate about this, that want this so bad. And you can kind of tell, you can A, tell by talent, oh, yeah. whether, they, whether they nail it vocally or not is almost not the issue. You could really be a great singer, but you can tell that they're just kind of phoning it in or their parents are kind of living vicariously through the kids or whatever that is. Those aren't the kids that I really mm -hmm. want to impact or to support because if they're not in it, I don't want to waste anybody's time or their money, you know? Yeah. It's too, I call that the mask. The mask. You know, people think they can put a mask on and hide who they really are, but we can see through it. People are intuitive. Human yes. beings are intuitive. And when you get that one person that walks through the door yeah. and all of a sudden their energy fills the room. It's that's, undeniable. Undeniable. Yeah. Has anybody sort of just like blown? Well, no, you're living at home right now. Right. But. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm trying to like, I'm just backpedaling before March. Um, well, I mean, it's I, hard. You can't really single any one person out. So you don't have to talk about them as an individual. Sure. But I, I would mean, say. A small handful. Yes. Yeah. That's you know, cool. but it's but it's not it's not any different than actual Broadway because, you know, the shows that I've been in, you can t there's there's really great talent and then there's just really okay talent. It happens. I don't care if you're on a Broadway stage or not. Those people that are on a Broadway stage, some are fantastic. Some are just lucky. Yeah, it's just that way it is. And there's a there's a bit of a game. And I also work with kids on on how this landscape actually roles and how this trajectory can lead and how you can kind of massage the situation so that 
you're you're getting in with the right people in a very honest and professional way. Well, do they believe you? <laughs> well, I mean, I'm I'm hoping that the way I was educated <laughs> and the way I'm passionate about what I do, the way that I'm talking to them through their parents or with their parents, that they right. can. And you look at my resume too. It's like. I'm not making any of this up and you can no, choose to come on board not. or you don't have to. I mean, there's, this is a no pressure situation. You're choosing to come to us to make your experience and what you want to do have the best possible outcome. And that's why I'm here. You know, that's awesome. You must just love it. I do love it. I do love it. I love <laughs> it when I love it when, the, when, again, I'm kind of repeating myself, but when that penny drops and you can, you can work with a young person for 45 minutes and around minute 39 and a half, something clicks vocally or something resonates with them that they just have never experienced before. Magic is so fun to watch. And they're going to be changed from that point on. It doesn't mean that we have, you know, take that box and we've learned that lesson and we just move on and blow past it. It means, okay, this is something that we, we saw a shift happen here. Let's focus on this. Let's this, you know, this becomes something of a, of a real earmark of what we need to focus on. It just, it never ends. It never really ends. We do this as professionals. That's an amazing gift you're giving to people because a lot of creatives are not reinforced in their daily lives. You know, yeah. people are always saying, oh, get a real job or you'll never make it or sure. it's too difficult or it's too negative or it's too dangerous. And you're, you're just, uh, you're a bright light in their lives. I'm sure it's something they'll never forget. And even if they don't become incredibly successful on one you, hand. You touched on something that's really important. And the big pinnacle issue is that I want that young person that goes through this period of, of, of training with me and with the people that I've put together, I want them to have the most self-worth that they've ever had in their entire lives. Because when they have that, because you know, kids are brutal. and they tear each other down all the time. I don't know what happens behind closed doors of people's homes, but life is really tough and people are really mean and hard and cruel. And sometimes it, it happens without people knowing it. But if I can give someone hope, and I don't necessarily mean hope to be on a Broadway stage, I mean that core hope of of something is is good inside, mm -hmm. that I'm worth something, that I'm worth better than X, Y, or Z, just because I'm a human and I respect myself, then we've won because they can take that and they can become a doctor. They can become an attorney. They can become a social worker. It doesn't matter in the scope mm -hmm. of, of life. It, but what does matter is can I change this person enough so that they can love themselves and believe in themselves because then everything is an option. That's wonderful. So when you look back at your little seven-year-old self playing the drums. I would have given my right arm to experience something like that. <laughs> yeah, I would have. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. So how do you, uh, so people, where do they go to find out more about this? Sure. Um, the website is pcgtheatrical.com. And P P C G theatrical. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, literally just drop us um, a note. There's a sign up page back in the, on the back end and someone will reach out to you. It's very mm -hmm. easy. It's very easy. And we want it to be very hands-on so that they know that they're not just, you know, everything is automated. And once they, once they put their name and they're in, they could check several different boxes of what intrigues them about what they want to do um, through us or what they want to explore, then we reach out to them. 
we talk to parents, we talk to them. Um, if this is something that is intriguing to them, we'll have them send an audition in. It doesn't have to be polished in the slightest. In fact, it's better if it's not. And uh, and then we we move forward and try to make the experience for them absolutely life changing. Now you do the two day sessions, but uh, if they're interested in staying longer, do they move to Nashville for a while? No, or no. What's it's, the it's, schedule yeah, like? Yeah, sure. So. Essentially, what it is, is is young people come with one or two parents, depends on um, Mm -hmm. how flexible their schedule is. And they kind of come, they come to Nashville for a three day period of time. And then they go back to where they live, whether it's Omaha, Nebraska, or New Jersey, or Florida, or Texas. um, And they pick up their scholastic environment there. And whether they're involved in shows uh, back there and whether it's high school or middle school or civic light opera, it doesn't matter. We want to support what they're doing back home. And then they come back a month and a week later, five weeks, six weeks later, whatever works on their schedule. So we have like six month plans. We have 12 month plans. Um, or we also have just, if you want to get a taste of what PCG theatrical is like, we have this thing called the stage door, which is uh, basically a one weekend opportunity where they come in and we facilitate, you know, uh, experience with an amazing choreographer and dance, um, coach and, you know, if you want to be an actor and do you want how, you know, what is your experience on stage, um, performance coaching, vocal coaching. So everything that really supports that young person health. Um, I mean, if we, if we get into a much broader sort of longer period of time, we'll address like the physical health the the mental anxiety of what this career is like. And we'll, we'll tick off every single box that you'll need to, to have in your back pocket to prepare yourself. What a gift. This is such a gift to you as well as to them. Do you ever work with adults or is it primarily young people? Well, I've worked with adults before. We've not had adults come through PCG Theatrical, but absolutely I would because mm-hmm. anybody could, you know, whether you want to be on Broadway or not is, is kind of, in concept, you know, it's, 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 it's that, that's sort of the, that's kind of the blessing at the back end. But if you want to be a better person in just confident wise about a better speaker in front of people, if you want just... If this is just something that you're passionate about, but you don't want to do it professionally, you know, absolutely. I've worked with with people all over the place from, from six to 60. And music is so important in life. I think when people are down and going through hard times, the creative side of them can really enliven their lives. And, um, you know, once you have that music in you, you never le- lose it. You never lose it. Absolutely not. So this is this is wonderful. I'm curious about Sound Shop yeah. 370. Tell me about that. Sure. So I, I, I'm kind of wearing two different hats at the moment. One is dedicated to musical theater artist development with young people through PCG Theatrical. And then the other one is is returning back to music. It's why I, I kind of left New York, because I didn't want to get caught up in that eight-show week of a New York Broadway experience. Although, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm teaching young people to how to get to Broadway, <laughs> how, to, how to hone their skills to get there. But you're the same ruining time, their lives. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'll tell you, you got to be willing to work hard because doing eight shows a week is no joke. It is mm. no joke. Um, but that being said, I came from the rock and roll world. I came from making records. I came from writing songs. And that's another thing that I'm so, so impassioned about because I, I want to give back the production that I, and the people that I've worked with throughout my entire career. I've learned so much and, and I'm kind of a, a gear geek and I love production and I love guitar tones and I love how drums sound and I love working with vocalists who are kind of quirky and odd and unique and and that's uh, that's the other thing and that's what Sound Shop 370 is about 370 is the address that I uh, lived in 
in New York City, and this is basically a larger, fuller, more fleshed out version of what that small space was in Manhattan. So we got introduced by OWC because they are both wonderful supporters of us. I mean, I know you're starting to use some of their some of their gear. This is OWC Radio. I'm really curious about, uh, even though this is not a requirement of any interview. Obviously, we're agnostic here, and we <laughs> talk to we talk to all kinds of people all the time. But I I do believe since they're the ones that introduced us, you are using some OWC solutions. Well, Do you I, want to talk about that? Sure. I mean, I was actually a customer of theirs for, gosh, when I lived in Nashville the first time around, way before I had a personal connection with them. Yeah, that's so kind of how I got started with them, too. I, I was like, I was buying <laughs> memory for them all the time mm. and hard drives. And because that's, that to me, it was the only real reputable outlet. Because I've been a Mac guy forever. And anybody who's really in tune to that platform, I want to support. And I also want that support because it's unique audio and visual stuff on the Mac platform is, is mm-hmm. real special. And I want somebody who acknowledges that specialness to be my support structure. And OWC has done that from the beginning. One of the things I do love about OWC, besides the fact that they have ridiculous customer support and the products that they have are incredibly unique and very esoteric, interesting things that are kind of behind the scenes that uh, when you get on the phone with one of the reps, they'll they'll sort of handhold you if you don't necessarily know what you can do with your mm-hmm. existing computer. And I'm still on a I'm still on a 2010 Mac Tower and just had a basically kind of regutted the whole thing and and it is like purring so beautifully and um the fact that they can you know keep old machines still very very relevant is is brilliant it's awesome because i mean who really has twenty five thirty five thousand dollars for a new mac pro not exactly <laughs> on the budget at the moment <laughs> so so yeah owc is totally keeping me in the game because I love it. I love that they let you tear things apart, add new stuff, put that SSD drive in there, make a screaming fast machine out of something that was probably on its deathbed. Yeah. 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 They're great. Hmm. I I mean, I really can't, apart from them introducing the two of us, I can't say enough about them. I've just, I've, I'm very, I've been a, a voice for them way before I knew who they were personal. So picture yourself in Sound Shop 370 and look around the room and tell me what gear is your favorite gear and what you use for these recording sessions when you're sure. when you're either performing yourself or when you're producing for other people. Well, I mean, because of technology and where it is, computers are the central hub of of everybody's current studio unless you're recording to tape, but that percentage of people that are doing that is so minimal, it's almost almost insignificant when you're talking about recording. Mm. So, I mean, to have, you know, the support of a great computer is crucial, even though I can't even see my computer when I'm sitting down to record or write or anything else. Um, mic pre's are really important. I love Chandler gear. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, I always have a, a, been a big believer in what they do. And the distressors um, are great compressors. I'm a big advocate. Um, I like to have a great, unique microphone to capture whatever I'm recording. I don't care if it's guitar or vocals. Um, it's really important to drive analog gear into your computer. And then I'm, I mix 
completely inside my computer. So I don't, I don't ever bring sound outside and back into the computer. Um, everything is all internal and plugins and, um, I could talk forever about, you know, favorite plugins and that sort of thing, but it's really important for me to have a really great, and I mean, great in quotes, not like expensive necessarily. Sometimes the really cheap microphone does really cool things to a guitar cabinet or, or to a voice. And sometimes mm-hmm. I'm, sometimes I'm putting a voice, like two microphones on a voice. And one of those microphones is really, it's really crapping out and it's really distorted. And it, but if you tuck it in behind the main microphone, it really gives a, a lovely character that you could never pinpoint. But if you take it away, you're like, Oh, it's just something, something disappeared. Hmm. So I don't know. I just, I love musicians. I love making music. I love learning from other individuals, whether it's, a, you know, an audio podcast or other engineers that I'm working with, or even other musicians, because so much of the time nowadays, because gear has come down in price exponentially over the last 15 to 20 years, musicians now have little small setups at home and, and, and aren't necessarily schooled in recording. And so they do things in a very unconventional way which I would never have done because I did go, I, you know, I was learning to record on analog tape and that's how I made my first record in college. And I was, you know, aligning tape machines and very old school. So when people are talking about old analog warmth or tape warmth and that sort of thing, I'm like, I know that because that's how I learned this. And I'm so grateful that I grew up and am in this industry and the path that I've taken when I did, because it was, it was that transition from analog to digital and the the frustrating parts of digital and now how beautiful it is and interesting. And so I don't know if that answers your question per se, but it's, it's important for me to get the best coloration of analog signal into the computer. So having great mic pre's and microphones and cool compressors that are either solid state or two, whether it's uh, an 1176 or an LA-2A, it's or a distressor it it just matters and then now that you have that audio inside your computer that sort of analog thing that people are talking about doesn't have to be falsely manufactured mm-hmm. are you are you on pro tools or what are you using you know i just can't do pro tools um oh really I, yeah interesting i just i just i will if if the if the the client wants to use pro tools i'll do it um <laughs> i i I just don't think it's user friendly in the slightest. And I know it's the industry standard, but I'm a logic guy. I've been a logic guy way before Apple ever decided to purchase it from a company called Imagic. But it just, it it works really well for me. It also is really great because I'm a musician and I'm a songwriter and there's so much that you can do mm-hmm. with that. Um, whereas Pro Tools has always sort of lagged behind in the MIDI world. Um, And that was kind of my biggest defense of not getting involved with Pro Tools because I wasn't just engineering records. I was also writing and composing and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But if somebody wants me to to record their record using Pro Tools, I'm happy to do it. But I won't I won't mix in Pro Tools. I just find it very clunky. I don't I don't like it. Logic uh, Logic Pro just had a new upgrade to 5.1, I think. They did. A couple of weeks ago. Yeah. 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 A lot of their new features. um have to deal with do you know um a software by a company called ableton it's called ableton mm-hmm. live so it's it's yeah, very it's yeah. very focused on like the dj and performance kind mm-hmm. of artist and so logic has implemented kind of similar facets of what they do 
loop mm-hmm. loop modes and, and triggering different places like that and almost turning it into a somewhat of a performance component. It's not a world I live in. So those features that have been updated and really, they're really beautiful. If you look at and you go through a couple of tutorials online, you see what they've done. It's really gorgeous and really cool. It's not how I work. And I don't really foresee me using a lot of what that is, but it's mm-hmm. a free update. And I don't, you know, it's one less quirky thing that could go wrong with a, with an old you know, version of software as the operating system progresses. Yeah, it's that old question of do I upgrade or not? Yeah. (laughs) Not if I'm in the middle of a record. (laughs) No, 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 no. Um, So what is your favorite microphone? I mean, I I don't have one, but I love a vintage uh, U47. I do. (laughs) But, you know, it's it's now what, $25,000, $30,000 microphone if you can find one in good shape. Um, you know, back. you're going <laughs> to, but I mean, that's at, just- at NAB two years ago, yeah. I went into the Sennheiser booth because they, they, um, I don't know if they purchased them or in their partnership with Neumann. Yeah. And I was so tired of switching microphones all the time yeah. that I said, okay, I'm just going to get, I'm just going to get the highest level Neumann mic I can possibly find. Mm. And the top guy said, you don't need to do that. Yep. And I was just going to piggyback on that. The thing <laughs> is the way people are now listening to music, whether it's earbuds or through their computer or whatever, they're not going to hear the difference between a U47 or an 87 or a Shure SM58. They're probably not going to, but that's not the point of why this microphone isn't beautiful. Because when you put a singer in front of a microphone like a U47, and I'll also mention, I'm a big fan of, there's a, a microphone company based out of Nashville called Lawson. And it was the first microphone that that I put some money down. I think I bought one for maybe it was around $3,000, but it basically mimicked a Telefunken 251, which is a really expensive uh-huh. vintage microphone. And Gene Lawson is an amazing man. I'm not sure what the production is right now because over the last 15 years, there's a, an onslaught of all these boutique mic manufacturers and more than I can ever even wrap my head around. So um, that being said, before, you know, if I don't, have any problem renting a U47, that's great. But my my Lawson 251 is my go-to microphone. Um, has been forever. I've done three records, personal records on it. Um, I'll still probably, I would even take it to a session just because I'm used to it. And so what I was saying is, even though we listen to music differently, we digest it differently, we hear it in different spaces, The when you get a singer behind a microphone that makes them sing a certain way, then you're talking something different because the performance is recorded in a way that would never have been there if it was with a possible other microphone or a different mm-hmm. mic free. I mean, all these things are really small and somewhat insignificant, but it's almost like the sum is greater or the, the, the whole is greater than some of its parts. When, when, you, when a performance just gels, a lot of it can kind of come back to that the way that that artist is feeling when he's he or she is behind a certain microphone and the signal chain that's going into the computer. And you know that as a producer, when you're watching someone perform, you can see when that magic moment happens, can't Absolutely. you? Absolutely. Hands down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. Making magic again, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should rename the, the studio. Magic Productions. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Oh, well, this is, this is really wonderful. Um, it's been an amazing transition for you and 
you're an incredible gift to the world, to the world of young creatives with what you're doing at PCG as well. So thanks. I just, it's just, it's a privilege. You know, I think it shifts when you have kids and you see this beautiful little person in front of you and how you can support their, their little soul. And Mm -hmm. if, if I can do that through what I know pretty, pretty well, then that to me is, is what I'm supposed to do at this point in my life. I'm happy for you. And I'm happy for all the people that are going to benefit from everything you've learned in your life. Thank you. So where do people go to learn more about both sound shop and PCG again? Can you tell us? So PCG theatrical is just that PCG theatrical, uh, com. Um, you can fill in any content on the back page and we'll reach out, uh, to you depending on what your desire is and how you want to grow as an artist. Soundshop 370 doesn't have an online presence as of yet because it's basically been word of mouth. Mm -hmm. Um, We've gotten a lot of great clients that way. And so uh, once sort of COVID is wrapping itself up, um, (laughs) we'll have a a much more stronger presence online and people will know where to find us there. But um, it's easy to find out what I'm doing by my website, my personal website, which is just TonyVincent.com. And now if I were to send people to one of your albums or to some of your music, what would you like them most to listen to right now? Oh, wow. Choose between your babies. <laughs> In my head is I'm really proud of this record. It was a it was a project that I did without a record company, without another producer. And it was, it's, to me, it's, when left to my own devices, this is what I do unashamedly. So yeah, in my head, I'm, you know, it's on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your streaming content. I was actually listening to some of it before I interviewed you. It's really beautiful. I, I really do encourage people to, uh, to go and find it. Just find it, listen to it, buy it. Tony, thank you so much. In the middle of everything that's going on with being at home and running virtual sessions with people and your family and the coronavirus, but I, you know, I think you're inspiring so many people. So thank you so much for talking with us and welcome to the OWC Radio family. We're going to be looking at your next moves and we're going to be tracking you and hopefully we'll get you back on again and good luck with everything that you're doing sounds great thanks so much and people you know what i tell you every time get up off your chair and go do something wonderful today even if it's in your own home (laughs) thanks again tony thank you 